we've called for a working group because the conversation shouldn't stop today because there's new standards and we don't need to deal with it again. Nonsense. Nonsense. You need to have this conversation on a continuous base. So let's find a way to do that and do it in the context of facts, evidence-based research. That's what we need to do moving forward. Welcome to another episode of the Gaming News Canada Show podcast presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt LLP. It is Wednesday, August 30th, and I am your host, Steve McAllister. The Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario put out Tuesday morning the long-awaited announcement of amendments being made to the standards for online sports betting and gaming in the province. The new rules prohibit the use of athletes in advertising and marketing by regulated operators in Ontario. The AGCO, in its announcement, also said the standards have been strengthened to restrict the use of celebrities who would be expected to appeal to minors. Operators will have some time to make adjustments to their advertising and marketing strategies as the new restrictions don't come into effect until the end of February. Paul Burns, the president and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association, will join us to provide his reaction to the announcement. Later, friends of the podcast, Nick Solsky from Points Back Canada and Botanos Chris Abbott will also be with us. First, we welcome back to the Gaming News Canada Show podcast, the president and chief executive officer of the Canadian Gaming Association, Paul Burns. Paul, I really appreciate you taking the time on a Wednesday morning. I, I assume that your uh, your week uh, got off to a rather rather busy start, and you're, uh, you're you've been spending a lot of time on your phone and on your uh, laptop the last forty eight hours. It has been a little bit busy. We we heard that the standards were coming, um, and uh, obviously, it's uh, there's a desire for information. Really, what there is from from industry and from our membership about what's uh, What's actually what's actually uh, the new standards? Hey, Paul, just your first. Let's start with just your general reaction to what the AG so announced yesterday. It didn't seem to be a whole lot different from what was first proposed back on back on April thirteenth. But was there anything about the announcement that particularly struck you? They had pretty much telegraphed where they wanted to go. They received feedback from the industry and, and really kept moving in that direction they wanted to go. I think that there are some things in there that. That that needs and needs it quickly, and and we'd we'd like to help create that as the guidance. Uh, it's one of the things the CGA asked for was that that there be with any new standards because there's been, uh, as you know, through the bonusing incentive um, uh, language that's in, in the, the restrictions. There's a lot of frustration. There were fines to operators around their use of some of that language in the early stage. They want to comply and they want to know how. So let's figure out how we can do that. And I think the industry can help the AGCO um, in developing those guidance standards so we know that operationally, relationally they work, they're effective, and that so everybody can comply with the rules because that's what they want to do. You know, it's funny, I reached out to several people, uh, talked to some people on the weekend, uh, again on, on Monday before we re reported the newsletter yesterday morning that these standards were were coming. And there did seem to be a source of frustration about about what the AGCO was going to release. Can you, can you just talk a little bit about where that frustration comes from? Well, I think it, it surrounds the whole debate. So you're happy to review regulations and, and, and framework. Um, it's always good to make sure that, um, you know, markets change, things change, and let's understand uh, how we need to adapt for the, for the landscapes in, in marketplaces. Um, I think around this was the fact that it's the context in which this debate, which this debate is happening. 
it's actually missing a lot of facts <laughs> um, in terms of there's a newness to this advertising. Ontario set up a very, very strong regime um, for uh, a regulatory regime for online gaming, the first in the country. Today, we're not talking about why that regulatory regime is great in terms of, of um, protecting consumers and providing greater uh, uh, greater controls and player protection. We're talking about how it didn't seem to work the first year and that industry needed to be reined in. I think it's wrong. And, and, and from the fact that there has been no violations of any of the RG standards in Ontario, um, there was no issue needed to, that were habitual that needed to be addressed. So the context of having this is in the, the need of, of seeing there needed to be greater protection. Um, but we did it without a lot of evidence. People look to other jurisdictions in the world. That's nice, but it's you can't compare. Compare um, UK to Canada. You, the history of gaming, of sports betting, of how it's been delivered in that country. Their more recent commitment to, to responsiving versus Canada's longstanding and Ontario specifically really setting up a very strong regime. Uh, the KYC, the KYC prevented minors from accessing the system. Not one minor has been reported, or even an operator self-reporting that a minor got in. So when you look at these things and saying, uh, oh, and then advertising, you know, gaming advertising probably represents less than 5% of the advertising on television. Um, that most of the complaints that have been received are about the volume, about volume, uh, 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 just seeing them because newness explain, well, why am I seeing them? People often don't know that there was a regulatory regime set up to regime set up to get access to online online gaming on sports betting since its inception for over twenty years in this country, and there's actually now controls were put in place. But well, there's not enough. Well, some people don't know that there are controls, and that's why the, the debate's happening in a context of more emotion than fact. You know, Ad Standards Canada received 130 complaints. On gaming, less than it represented about 10 percent total complaints. Ninety three percent of them were about seeing advertising for gaming. Less than half of them came from Ontario. So, when you look at this, it's like um, we and not one of them was about content. Was about content. So, when you look at some of these these complaints and understand, let's put some context to all of this stuff. Uh, there's a newness, um, you know. You know, there's a the bill in the Senate that wants to talk about a sports betting framework for adver for advertising sports betting. Well, let's talk. We talk about gaming advertising. Gaming advertising, because it's all this. It doesn't matter. It's still gambling and gaming for people. Whether it's a lottery ad, a casino ad, okay. and the industry treats everybody. It's the same, and how we approach these things in terms of our commitment player protection, player health. And that's, that's paramount. It's one of the things that, that it's, there's an appearance that the industry needed to be reined in because they were getting out of control. The rules. They did that. We're happy to have those discussions. I started the discussions with the AGCO last January about the need to say, let's say, let's sit down and, and understand where we need to go and understanding how the standards are working 
and where we may need to do may need to do some work. And that's where the industry has been more than willing to be part of it at the table from the beginning. Um, we called we called for a working group because the, the conversation shouldn't stop today because there's new standards and we don't need to deal with it again. Nonsense, nonsense. You need to have this conversation on a continuous basis. So let's find a way to do that and do it in the context of facts, evidence-based research. That's what we need to do moving forward because I, because I think it has been unfairly vilified through this process because no one's violated a standard regarding appealing to minors. And for, you know, some people, people say, well, not really change for them as an operator because they don't use athletes or even celebrities. But that's a, that's the frustration, and I think where the industry lies is that, you know, we seem to be put out as needing to be punished or to be reined in. But we were following the rules, and there were no violations of the responsible gaming rules or appealing to minors, minors. And so it doesn't mean we can't change standards, but let's do it in the context of having facts and evidence. And meaningful discussion, discussion with it. one uh, one criticism I did hear this week, Paul, was that you know, and and this is something that you and other people in the industry have talked about at, at conferences going back to before the market launched in Ontario in April 20, 2022. and that uh, that is that consult the consultation and collaboration that took place between the regulator in Ontario, the AGCO, and and iGaming Ontario, and and operators in the industry and. Uh, you know, I had a couple of people mention to me on Monday that they felt that 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 didn't happen in this this case. Is that a is that a fair criticism? Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it criticism, but the fact is something changed, and that's that's what the industry the question I have had the most in the last few days is, well, what does this mean now going forward? How do we, how do we deal with the because they people see the relationship has changed between industry and the AGCL. Um, I don't believe it it has, but there's a perception, and there's and there's an it's more than a perception. There's a strong feeling that it did. Um, and and you know because you know, the industry has a lot to offer and committed to making sure that this is a you know that we don't unreasonably target youth. Um, no one does. No one does. Actually, that we put measures in place that provide tools and uh, a strong level of protection for consumers, and everybody has the same goals. So let's work together. The fact, uh, Paul, that there's kind of a six-month period before the, these standards take effect does that give the industry an opportunity to kind of to go back to the table? And you talk about the working working group and. Uh, having conversations and uh, again, I think another one of the concerns that, that got raised in the, the email exchanges and texts and conversations I've had the, this week is that you know it is a bit gray. You know, we we talk about the the announcement. You know, quote these these amended standards also restrict the use of celebrities, role models, social media influencers, entertainers, cartoon figures, and symbols that quote would likely be expected to appeal to minors. I, you, you wonder how how is the AGCO going to police that? And and when you look at social media influencers, your your idea of what a social media influencer is, and my idea of what a social media influencer is, it, it could be could be quite uh, quite different. And you would think that 
puts the, the operators in a bit of tough position to figure out what that, that means. Well, exactly. And that's why I mentioned the guidance off the, off the top is that's what the guidance should be dictating is that there's, there's, there's some tools, metrics, other guidance that's, that helps operators understand how they can determine um, could possibly be. Um, because I don't believe the AGCO wants to get into vetting everybody's spokespersons and marketing plans. Um, that's not, I don't, that's what they want to do. So the best way for them not to have to do that and not for operators to have a game of trial and error or a little bit what happened on the bonus and incentive language where people would put stuff out and find out, oh, that cassette didn't work. Um, that um, guidance is important in this. Um, it's critical because it will it allows it allows companies want certainty. And they understand the certainty comes with an understanding rules and okay, I can go in now build my marketing plan, my find my right my right people I wish to use. Um, and that's why six months is important because that's the timeline that these companies have to work on. Now, if you did it any shorter, it would be punishing to pe to people. And you that so this is that's a that is a reasonable time frame because of existing existing of existing um, you know marketing cycles and business plans and being able to be responsibly prepare for new requirements if that affects your organization that's only reasonable um that's what's expected that's that's and i think that's why you know the guidance is important i wish it had been out with the standards but the fact is if if we'd love to be a part of helping develop those because it would be helpful because that you know operators in ontario come with a global experience um, um have uh, worked to comply with some of these types of standards before and can provide some guidance on their own that what's workable and what solutions we can we can bring them. and i think that's important and i think that's really what um that's why the, the timeline was was is in reasonable from a business perspective to be able to plan and in in a, in a reasonable time frame uh that doesn't you know funny to throw out uh, pre-existing plans and and other pieces and so i think that's and develop and be able to develop new ones well i guess the one question too is that this uh the, the announcement yesterday doesn't seem to be a lot different than what the agco first proposed in the middle of, of april and tom mungham was at the canadian gaming summit back in june and said it would be you know quote uh, i think quote weeks uh, weeks not months before an announcement would be forthcoming um, is that an added layer of frustration that, you know, we have the NFL season launches uh, in, in nine or ten days and, and we've got a, a very busy fall, fall sports schedule? Um, is part of the frustration that, that not much has changed? So why, why did it take, you know, essentially four months for these standards to get formally put into place? Well, I think there was the ability to make, ability to make sure that, that, you know, it was um, what they were doing was – in the context of being able to be achievable, uh, uh, being unreasonable uh, in terms of timelines or, or um, 
and understanding that there needed to be really of investigating some other opportunities uh, that came with this, that, that, that have all the answers. There isn't evidence, a lot of this. A lot of it's other jurisdictions. There's not Canadian evidence, Ontario evidence, and that was one of the things we offered. Let's, let's do some research again. Let's figure this, figure this out. And, you know, is this effective? And I think that's, you know, having use of uh, athletes, card athletes and athletes in G campaigns was one of the measures. Hey, let's talk about that. Let's see if there is an, if that is an effective use. Is there a positive impact that can be happened? We don't know. We need to, let's research that. Research that. And let's, um, if we can use, because there are a positive role model in, in people to gamble, won't gamble, won't, let's, can we use those, that influence to ensure that people are using healthy habits? Um, so, uh, you know, I think that the time there was, I think there was expected at the end of June, there was a bit of a pause. Um, and there was some uh, refinements uh, to what I think they initially wanted to put out. And I think that that time was positively used. Um, that's at least, at least, um, really, I think putting us in a position now where that need for guidance is important. It was needed, needed before. <laughs> it's, it's definitely needed now. Early years to likely. Well, what does that mean? Is I was, I was on side before. Am I still on side with what I'm doing? Um, and that's, that's, that's really the, um, it's, it, it, when no one had any issues previously, well, where was, where was, where was the, was the tool? Operators by some, by practice say, well, we don't put anybody that looks under 25. In fact, Think TV and all their advertising insists that this, that no one, they're under 25. So television advertising was already working on a standard that people under 25 really were not permitted in, tele permitted in television. That was already part of Think TV standards. And that's one of those other layers that people really don't understand what's going on. That, that actually every television ad is reviewed by by Think TV, TV uh, for its visuals and its language, ensuring that it does not appeal to minors and have any appearance. Uh, we look if you look at facial actions to see if they're untoward or maybe intimating that you can win. Um, there's lots of things that are already there. So so I think everybody now needs to, that guidance is important. Because those things that, you know, no one, as I said earlier, and I've said many times, no one violated any of the RG stand, standards. I guess, Paul, what's, what's the next step? And I know the CGA, you're, you're having, uh, I guess, a state of the union, if you, if you want to call it that, on September, <laughs> September 13th. I mean, what, uh, where, where, where do you go from here with regard to this announcement? Well, we just have regular sort of virtual town halls with our members to say, "Here's what we're up to." <laughs> so this is so this is it's one in September because we've been working on a number of things in, in terms of also uh, we've talked about a, a responsible gaming player protection strategy, and I think you see, you see some of them going to come out this fall around talking about some of that. Um, uh, for us, and in, in, in this is where you know the invitation. Uh, we made to the AGCO in our submit submission. We made it verbally for months. Um, you know, we were able to. We've had stakeholders come to the table from professional professional sportscasters and the industry, and we want to sit down and form a working group. Let's talk about this working on, on advertising and and uh, you know working with other industry associ association, the IABA, the Interactive Advertising um, uh, Organization Bureau, and. 
and 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 talking to Ad Sanders Canada and talking to Think TV and having all these groups. We're there. We're part, you know, willing to have them. So we're gonna we're gonna continue on on that front with on, with that group. Um, uh, and you know, the industry is um, and still, you know, knowing that knowing that you know the operators are are working in a the totality of the regime um, protects miners, uh, provides strong, strong responsible soldiers, uh, and protect player protection and. That's important uh, that that the context of this discussion needs to happen. That I, I go and EO created a strong regime where there was none, there was no protection, and all of the groups that want beyond gambling ban don't you know where if they really where were they thirty five years ago when gambling ban started, and let's have this conversation in the context of the facts and understand, understanding gambling has become normalized behavior in society, and a lot of people don't want to accept that. Well, with that, and I've had parents and friends, well, what do I say to my kids? I said, well, it's the same discussion you have about alcohol and drugs and other things. And that's, you know, we've had to have it with social media and the use of so- use of social media kids. That didn't exist 20 years ago. Um, it does now. And that's gambling and sports betting has become part of the conversations. It's been around for decades in this country. And with a regulated regime, we've we've got licensed operators who follow very strict rules. And I think we need to continue to talk about it. And that the fact that that's what's what's changed in April of 2020. Uh, That's what's been new. And, you know, as as another, you know, as other provinces look at what they should do, it's understanding that. You know, I'm puzzled by someone who said, "Well, why isn't another province doing what Ontario did?" As opposed to looking looking at Ontario's done is is bad. It's not. It's actually quite good. Um, and that's you know beginning to change that narrative. Change that narrative. Hey, Paul. Just uh, last question on this, and I have one other quick topic for you um, while we have you, and that's uh, you know AGCO as a regulatory body of, of the provincial government, and I, I just wonder like how. How or if the provincial government would have been involved in this process, and, and was that a factor at all in, in these standards taking so long to be released and, and the standards being tweaked? You know, there's there's uh, there is an independence to the AGCO in terms of their actions, but there's also there's a policy line that also that also the government. Uh, needs agencies to be certain when they're putting out section what that means and what are the impacts and and government has the right to ask lots of questions questions about what the impacts of policies and changes will be on their agencies and they did that and that that's that's their role uh, um, not overstepping their boundaries governments need to know um, you know the there's independent but you work inside work inside a there's a, a government that has uh, needs to understand the policies that they're ultimately responsible for. The minister, the attorney general, is ultimately uh, will get one that gets called to account in the legislature on behavior of agencies. Um, so there's a, there's a there's a there's a right and ask questions, and I think that process worked very well in this case, and that, that there that's part of the public policy making process, but. 
you know, they, you know, they can, their right is to ask questions about what the impacts of this policy are and, and look for knowing that, uh, how they're going to work. Uh, before we let you go, uh, uh, Dave Fezchuk had a column in the Toronto Star last week, I believe, and, and we wrote about it in last week's newsletter. And, uh, you know, it's the second time I've seen officials from the Canadian Centre for Ethics and Sports refer to, uh, you know, a, gr- a growing concern that there are going to be match fixing scandals in, can- in Canada. And just just wanted to get your, your, thoughts, uh, your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's interesting. There already were. <laughs> so this is the part that it's, if you go back to the Canadian Soccer League um, a decade or so ago, ago, um, and I sat on a session um, that the Interpol Sports Integrity Unit did in Canada, in, Canada uh, in advance of the Women's World Cup many years ago, um, but highlighted the work that they had done over the sports betting Match fixing ring because it's transnational. It's um, it has sports match fixing has no borders uh, uh, in many ways because match fixers can live in one country, organize a match in another, and place bets in a in a third. That's why it's it it's um, it requires it requires agents, Interpol's unit. But you know the Canadian Soccer League was uh, infiltrated by Eastern European organizing crime ring who were using the games played in, played in Canada to make bets in books in Eastern Europe and Asia and other places. Um, some even UK licensed books were using the Canadian Soccer League because they thought it was our Premier League. Well, it was sort of a semi-professional league and you know, the, you know, the president of the time confessed we didn't know we were being bet on. Um, but they were you. What the laws... Um, uh, you know, there was no betting happening here, but that's why. But there was nobody watching either because there was no regulated regime. There was no relationship with integrity monitors. There was no, there was no oversight. Um, and I think that's exactly why we wanted regulated. Wanted regulated. And so, will there be matching? There very well could be match fixing. Same. I mean, Australia went through a process. They legalized sports wagering. They brought in. A monitor for match fixing. They found match fixing. It had been going on, but nobody had been watching before. And what we what we we know that the Canada Soccer League you know, from, you know, from a decade ago was occurring under nose. I mean, CBC did a whole fifth estate story on it. Um, and but the fact of the matter is, it was there was no legal betting here, so everybody was like, eh. and now that there is, you know, we've seen the the effects of that already in the sense that that. You know, the AGCO stepped in on UFC and on, on their insider policy, having making sure leagues and organizations being based on being bet on have strong policies internally. And that's where the CCS has a role to make sure in education. And I think, you know, their first symposium in 2019 showed that, oh, here's the volume of betting on Canadian athletes abroad. Abroad. And it was like, yes, because we're, yes, because we're athletes, particularly the athletes that CCS represents. To other countries where betting has been legal for decades, and I know that they've always always been concerned, and they're bad. And they, the federal government, needs to expand their mandate to understand that that's part of the player part of the player athlete education. But it was long, it was long before Canada legalized sports betting. 
that's why everybody thought that's the Macalen Convention that was created. It was for the one of the conditions of the Macalen Convention is recovering regulated sports betting marketplace. So we have we've made those those steps. Um, it's not like we've gone into this without understanding all of the implications. And so when they say that, it's like, yeah, okay, could be. But at the same time, we've had a heightened awareness, heightened level of education becoming. Let's turn that into a positive, positive and, and not worry about, you know, I don't, I'm not so much fear mongering, but the reality of that we, we get all got to get to work. We get to work on, we, we did years ago, actually. Um, you know, Canada never attended those Council of Europe meetings on the Macklin Convention and, and you know, until the late teens. Because um, it they all wasn't a priority for us. It, you know, and that's, that's where I think the conversation, I don't think this is saying that it's, a, you know, people say, well, it's sad that we have to do this and that's wrong. No, actually, we needed, we needed to do it and we're finally catching up to the rest of the world. And I think that's the important thing to remember uh, that we've, we need to do that to protect our athletes and the way we support our porter athletes. So that's because particularly in the amateur world is that's where, you know, betting on volleyball and basketball and, and team handball and all of those things were very culturally in other countries are really strong. And that's why athletes need to have the tools and tools and protection they needed years ago. And, and now that we have a regime, people are now talking about it in the right light, that we're getting the resources to do those kinds of things. Things This is in the right place. The partnerships with the IBIA and IBA funding an education program. Um, IBA wouldn't be in Canada, Canada if it wasn't like sports betting. Really, really reminds me, Tom, uh, Paul, of you know, 1988 and the Dublin Inquiry and the idea that doping, doping had just come to sport in the 80s when we knew that Doping was going on in the old Eastern Bloc countries back in the back in the '60s and, and '70s, right? And it go, goes to your point earlier about uh, you know social media not being around 20 years ago and having those conversations with your kids about drinking and driving and drinking and using drugs and and uh, again, it's 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 a much different world we live in today than we did 20 years ago. It's exactly it, and it, and and for. Some you know, will say it's for the better, and some say will say the opposite. But that's the reality of today, and that's why, you know, it's um, we need we need to to understand in having discussions about um, gaming regulation and how gaming is offered is offered. I mean, Canada's very good system model on gaming in the sense of that it's always led with player protection. It's always led with responsible gaming. Um, it's led with an understanding um, that that it needed oversight and control. Oversight and control, you know, the one piece because the internet was a great disruptor um, to provinces, and that's you know it was to the hotel industry and the taxi industry and medicine. It came to the gaming industry too because you know the internet has delivered a lot of things, and so this is brought is brought channel for delivery of the product products that uh, have been regulated for decades and we're now doing it in Ontario and and hopefully we can create regulated uh, a competitive gaming model for the rest of the country. Paul Burns is the president and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association. Uh, as always, Paul, thanks for your time. 
uh, enjoy the rest of your week, the, the Labor Day long weekend, and I, I expect is uh, I expect we'll be uh, we'll be very busy when uh, when the Labor Day weekend ends next Tuesday morning. Yeah, that yes, <laughs> counting on that. And uh, no, Steve, you have a good weekend too, and and thanks for having me. Great, thanks, Paul. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News Canada Show is presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt, LLP. Osler's gaming practice has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving landscape of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in the gaming industry has been built over years of service to operators, suppliers, and gaming authorities. Visit osler.com gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R dot com forward slash gaming. Now back to the show. Getting reaction to yesterday's announcement has been somewhat of a challenge. When we recorded our interviews this morning for the pod, we were still waiting for a response from the AGCO with our request to speak with Tom Mungham, the CEO and registrar, who will leave his role next month and be replaced by Dr. Karen Schnarr. So we are grateful, as always, to Nick Solsky, the Chief Commercial Officer of Points Back Canada, and Chris Abbott, the Canadian Country Manager for Botano, for joining us once again on the podcast and, and two guys who are never shy about providing their, their insight perspectives and, uh, and opinions on, uh, on the latest news in the industry. Uh, Nick, let's start with you. Just some general observations on the announcement from the AGCO yesterday. Well, I mean, it, you know, I think that I'm just happy it's out. Right. I, I think we, we heard about this months ago and, there were a lot of industry like rumors and, and whispers about what was happening, what was going to get released, when it was going to come out. And, you know, I think I can speak for every operator. We're not just talking about football season, NFL season starting in September. I mean, the the impending marketing, the new standards impact our entire year strategy. And so not knowing what the standards actually said was actually the biggest frustration, right? The anxiety of not knowing caused more stress than the actual standards that, that were released yesterday. And I don't think anything was really a surprise. It was pretty much what we had thought was going to happen with the exception that the, you know, RG component was added to both retired and current athletes. So I mean, I think my reaction is, um, you know, good. We can move on now. We can start making our plans. Um, you know, as far as the specific regulations, we can talk about whether, you know, you know, the specific opinions Chris and I have. But I think first and foremost, I'm just glad they're out. Like, that's 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 where I'm at this morning. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll echo what Nick says, and and to add, you know, we saw the first draft as operators in May, I believe, of of what the new standards may look like, and and we had an opportunity for feedback. So the first thing I want to say is that, you know, it was an open dialogue. This wasn't like thrown on us or anything like that. We were we were involved in the process. So you know, I know there's there can be knee jerk reaction to oh we can't do this now, but it's, it's this isn't a surprise to any operators for sure. So. Um, I think you know the 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 feedback piece was was there from the regulator, which which is all well and good. Um, but I agree. I mean, the the strategy that um, you know at Botano, we we've decided we you know we couldn't wait any longer to get our plans in motion for Q4 and Q1. So you know we 
we took a, a safe approach uh, in what we started to produce and, and, and it'll be fine, it'll be compliant, it'll be all good. Um, one of the, the pieces of feedback that we gave specifically as an operator was that, um, you know, we do have a, a professional athlete in our, in our, in our group uh, as an ambassador. And, and we did suggest that, hey, you know, okay, you're going to ban this. We can see it. I don't think we're going to win the fight. But if we could have the RG component and, and if you want it to be about, you know, individuals that people look up to and trust and respect, then, then the messaging coming from them will be good. So um, personally, I was happy that that was included in, uh, in the new standard. Hey, guys, when you when you look at the, the blog post that the AGCO put out on, on Tuesday morning, I mean, it's this is pretty consistent with what the original um, the original uh, notice that the AGCO put out back on April 13th. And I, I guess I, one question I do have, and I'll, Chris, I'll start with you on this one, is, is just why, you know, why did it take two months after Tom Mungham announced at the Canadian Gaming Summit back in June that, that this new standards would be coming within weeks? Like, why did you have to wait two months? And, and you know, how frustrating is that for, for you and, and, and Nick when, you know, the NFL season is, what, nine, nine ten days away and – a uh, very busy fall with the start of the NBA regular season and the NHL regular season. And as you mentioned, you're trying to get your marketing and advertising campaigns teed up. Like any thoughts on why it took until the end of August for these, for these standards to be etched in stone? I mean, I've got a couple of theories. I, I certainly wasn't in the room, nor was I a part of the conversations uh, on that side of things in terms of timing. But I will say that when the initial draft was released in, in May or, or whenever it was, I believe it was May, we'll call it May, even if it wasn't, um, you know, there was there was significant feedback given from, from industry. And, and I think that it was so overwhelming that they had no choice but to, to take it back and review and speak to their stakeholders, wherever they might be inside the government, and and try and find a, a you know, a compromise here. So I think that was a big part of it. Also, Steve, I mean, it's summer and, uh, you know, things tend to slow down in summer, especially in bureaucratic organizations. So, you know, I don't think it was, hey, let's leave this to the last minute. And, and <laughs> you know, and the, uh, I don't think they're thinking about our deadlines for me and Nick as, in terms of green lighting advertising campaigns. They know it's there, but they want to get this right. They're fulfilling their mandate. Um, it's a market that's been open for a year and a half. Um, so it's all, it's all part of what comes with it. I, the timing, I, I mean, in, in fact, turning it around from, from May when it was floated until, till now late August, when it comes to, to organizations, uh, it's actually not that long. I don't think. I mean, I think Steve, you know, to echo what Chris said and to add one other element into it, I think it was politics. I mean, I think for the first time that I remember our industry was directly impacted by the game of politics. And we're talking about, you know, let's face it, this all started, this, the conversation around new marketing restrictions started around the NHL playoffs with a couple big name proponents to the amount of gambling advertising that was in the market. And it was hockey based. And as much as, um, you know, we, you know, as much as sometimes we, we throw cold water on the fact that Canada is a hockey nation, the reality is there's a lot of powerful folks in the hockey world and, you know, both current and, and former that, um, you know, shined a very bright light on what was being discussed. And, you know, I think Summer did have a lot to, to play. I think the changing guard in the AGCO had something to play in it. But ultimately, I think 
we got swept up in 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 politics and i'm just glad that we have now come out on the other side um of it because you know i think that the biggest issue that is now going to face the industry and is going to face the agco as we move forward is how we bring more specific detail to some of the more vague elements within the standards themselves. You know, what is an influencer? What is a celebrity? How, I think they use language reasonably appeal to minors. What does that word actually mean? And I apologize if I misquoted that specific reference, but I think what will be important next is to create that strong framework because we've been told from the very beginning that the AGCO is not an approval body, right? But so if it's not up to our own opinions as an operator, and I think we've all gotten used to this over the last year and a half or so, um, what are the rules? Because it's, I think Chris and I and our organization's number one job is to follow the rules. We are a regulated licensed regime that whether we like them or not, we have to play by their rules. We we are here because of them, right? So um, we just want to know specifically how we can play around with whether it's the you know the 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 the, the RG component around the athletes and what you know candidly do the trailer park boys appeal to minors? I have an opinion, but I want to see what the actual standards. Um, finally um, detail that as being. Yeah, Nick, I'll, I'll, just, re I'll just read from the AGCO uh, um, uh, blog post yesterday on that. And it, it talks about prohibiting um, athletes active or retired in, in marketing and advertising, ex except for the exclusive purpose of advocating for responsible gambling practices. And then, quote, these amended standards also restrict the use of celebrities, role models, social media influencers, entertainers, cartoon figures, and symbols that, quote, would likely be expected to appeal to minors. Um, I think, Chris, that's, or Chris, one of one of the things, you know, or sources of frustration I've, I've received from talking to people in the industry over the weekend and, and earlier this week is, 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 as Nick mentioned, kind of that gray area and what you know, our, my definition of what an influencer is might be different from what yours and Nick definition is of a, of an influencer. You know, how is that a concern of yours? Yeah, well, it was my primary concern yesterday when I had the communication come across my desk. The very first thing I did was reply to our compliance officer and say, hey, we need some clarifications here. What is an athlete? What defines a professional athlete? I know that Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews are professional athletes. I know Chris Pronger is a retired professional athlete. Um, what about a guy who played in the East Coast Hockey League and he's now a journalist? Uh, is he an influencer that appeals to adults or is he a former professional athlete? Um, so, and who makes these decisions? Do we have to go to a tribunal every time we want to do something? And, and as Nick alluded to, they don't give you a yes or a no but they'll find you if, if you mess up. So yeah, that's, that's super frustrating. And I think the clearly defined parameters are, are, are necessary. I will say that, that we got response back yesterday afternoon when I, when I did ask those questions that, Hey, we understand, um, please provide a list of, of questions you want clarification from. So we're going to go into another, uh, consultative phase and, Frankly, it's probably going to set us behind even further because we don't know exactly what we can and cannot do. Who is an influencer? 
does a does a radio host who has a, a nine o'clock slot on the radio appeal to children? Well, I would say no, they're in school, right? So, but that's my opinion. And so, yeah, I think it's it's super frustrating, um, and it's kind of half halfway done. Um, but I, I, you know, I trust that we'll get there. Um, I would like it to all have been released at, at one time rather than let's get this out the door out the door to appease whomever to so show that we're doing something versus um, having everything in place. Yeah, I mean, Steve, if I might add, the the one element of frustration that. Um, will I think will only get magnified over the next number of months, especially as NFL season comes, but it's not going to stop kind of next March after these regulations take hold is because of the way that the Canadian broadcast and, and I'd say media industry is set up where there's a lot of bleed over from us cable channels, us cable feeds and podcast streams. Now, there's already a number of operators who have inducement language in podcasts that are produced in the U.S. And there is geogating to ads, but sometimes they don't all get caught. What happens when someone is watching a Buffalo Bills game this fall and they're watching it on a New York feed and they're seeing in an ad, not only an ad with an inducement, but an ad, let's say in February and March, that will have an athlete that is involved in the in the in the promotion. So there's a lot of and I'm going to use the word gray area not to not as a, as a bad pun for how this whole industry started. But there's going to be a significant gray area that operators like Chris and I are going to have to uh, that we're going to have to deal with because um, you know we no longer PointsBet no longer has a U.S. Uh, well we will no longer have a U.S. business as uh, you know division as soon as the Fanatics deal is, is finally closed. So ultimately, we won't be running any advertising in the U.S. that could potentially benefit us in Ontario from that bleed over. Like there's just a lot of nuance here that I, I don't know if we'll ever be able to tackle because it's a it's it's a it's a bigger industry issue around what a consumer actually understands of where the content they're seeing comes from and the rules that content um, then fall under, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, and you, I think you also get Nick and Chris into that area where TSN and Sportsnet have, you know, regional broadcasts, a local broadcast, a national broadcast, and how do you parse through all of that? And that's just another layer of, of, of complexity to uh, to this, this issue. So, again, I think that's going to be a storyline that continues to evolve. One question I do want to ask um, – you know, having having athletes used in responsible gambling messaging, I mean, this is something that we kind of hit over the head with uh, the proverbial hammer on, on the podcast for really the last 18 to 19 months um, with Gaming News Canada. And and I think we we've you know all agreed that there probably could have been more done. And, and Nick, I know with uh, points bet that you had your your curling deals with uh, with Team Einerson and. Uh, uh, I think the Brandon Bodger rank that there has that you guys have done some responsible gambling messaging. And I, I think that that has been a fail for the industry in Ontario that they weren't, uh, that they, they, they haven't used brand ambassadors to do more of that, especially with, uh, with current athletes who have, have deals with, with, uh, with sports books. Um, do you think there's an opportunity here, Nick, I'll start with you that, uh, that, it, you know, 
trying to trying to kind of negotiate your way out of those these deals with athletes or or, or tweaking them uh that there is an opportunity here to to for operators to use these deals to 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 do that rg messaging no i, I think it's a really good question steve and i don't want my answer to be misconstrued as um kind of negative or overly capitalistic or exploitive but let's face it I believe, and this is just my own opinion, of uh, a majority of the marketing deals that operators create with celebrities or athletes um, is based to drive acquisition, build brand, drive acquisition, responsible gaming. And the reason why I think a lot of operators haven't used a lot of athletes to focus on responsible gaming is because RG is not typically an acquisition tool. Right. And so if you're spending money, every dollar we spend, we try and assess what that ROI will be. If I spend one dollar here, I'm going to net X amount of dollars in, you know, an NGR, net gaming revenue. Everything we do is all about making money. Let's face it. So the reality is any relationship we create with any ambassador, celebrity, influencer, what have you, has to be backstopped by an ROI discussion internally or generally, I won't get approval. We won't get approval for doing those deals. So do I think that there's room for RG um, and athletes? Absolutely. And I we saw we uh, great feedback around the around the spot we did with uh with 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 Carrie Anderson and 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 her team. Now um, do I think that the deals are going to be as um, say robust as they were prior to this standard? No, I, I, I don't. I, I just don't. I think that's just being pragmatic and being being honest about it. Um, however, I do hope that this standard, on top of IGO's um, IGO's new responsible gaming, call it mandate, uh, based on a percentage of GGR, which has come out. Um, I think that it it will, um, just by matter of fact, enhance and increase the amount of RG messaging that all operators are using. And I think that there will be a lot more with athletes and celebrities now. Um, so I think that is a net benefit, but it'll be to, um, I think there'll be, the, the deals will be smaller. They just, I think they will just have to be. Yeah, Chris? Yeah, I mean, to piggyback on that, most of your, uh, advertising dollars are spent in acquisition uh, with, a, with a much smaller percentage being put toward responsible gaming um, above the line, right? Everyone has tools available to players when they're on the site. But in terms of public outward facing responsible gaming messaging, it's certainly, um, you know, a fraction of what's spent on, on acquisition marketing. Um, so with that, uh, so I won't rehash everything Nick said, because I agree. I also think it's a little tougher to, to, position that messaging around athletes. Um, hey, if you're going to bet on me, make sure you do it responsibly. So you know, it's, it's, it's the messaging and the visual that, you know, it'll take some, some creative work as well. Um, you know, and Steve, you might be going down this road, but something Nick said, you know, spurred this in me, you know, we're talking about um, why, you know, we've seen so much in terms of team and athlete sponsorship and, and TV advertising and, and to me, a big reason because of that was the already existing regulatory framework around um, online, say, bonus inducements, affiliates, and what they were able to do, which is a, a huge part of our industry in terms of acquisition. And so when, when the levers are getting cut off and you only have so many to work with, and, and, and now, you know, this is being curbed again a little bit, um, 
you know, I don't think we're over-regulated, but we do have a, a fair amount of it. And I think uh, as we go forward here, it's certainly a fine line for us to walk as an industry to make sure that um, we're, we're really not hamstringing uh, operators too, too much. Hey guys, last, uh, last question. Um, you know, Marty Deke and the Senator who, who brought with, uh, with Scott Tannis bill S 269 to the Senate back, I think in, in June that, uh, you know, saying that, the that there was too much advertising in the sports betting industry and, and, uh, regards to the use of athletes. And we've seen the Carl Subban, uh, lobby group, I guess, for lack of a better word, has been quite active. And, uh, you know, Jeffrey Haas, who we had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, talked about, you know, the oversaturation of advertising when the market opened in Ontario. Do you, do you think that's fair, fair criticism? And, and do you think that that maybe sparked the AGCO to go, go down this road, uh, Chris? I'm sure, I'm sure it had plenty to do with it. Um, uh, you know, if there wasn't any feedback uh, to the negative, then why would we change anything that was already in place, right? So um, yeah, you'd be naive not to think that. Um, one thing I did find a little bit curious, and I, maybe I shouldn't say this because I, I might add more to our uh, to our restrictions, but we, there was nothing curbed in the amount of advertising or the timing of advertising that was allowed to be shown. And Nick brought up politics earlier, and you, you have to wonder if there's not lobbyists saying to, to decision makers like, hey, you know, do what you got to do, but but we still need to sell these spots at all times of day and throughout our broadcast. Um, I don't know that, but I'm making links. I mean, why why if the backlash was about the amount of advertising and the timing and kids are watching at this time? Well, why was nothing why was nothing said about that? So you know, to me, I don't know that what we've done here this week is going to curb the public opinion that oh, there's too much advertising. Now it's going to be generic players right versus uh somebody you know um so that that's my first kind of thought on it um i don't know that that you know we'll see the amount we'll see the type and and the creative change so um that's something to watch as we go forward here and and will this be enough to appease people but i think honestly um if you're the general public um i don't know that you'll notice that much of a difference okay connor mcdavid and austin matthews aren't here but whomever or whatever generic guy is there on, on the ad now, right? So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think, but I think like everything, um, when it comes to, to policy, there's there's compromise rather than maybe doing the, the most effective thing uh, overall. So if compromise leaves us to only getting getting half measures, then, you know, we'll see, we'll see what it brings down the road. But, um, yeah, that's my take on that. Yeah, and I think... Sorry, the, and the, the, the two things I'll just add, I agree with everything Chris said, which I know is a big surprise to, to both you and Chris. Um, I think the two things is, like, the reality is sports gambling is still not in the top. I, I, please don't quote me, but I I believe sports gambling is not even in the top five of most kind of, cate- of, of category of being advertised, right? Car, beverage, like there's, there's, there like sports gambling is not in that top five. It's very highlighted now. Um, but I think we all have to understand that as well. I think that, but the, the thing that, and I think is not going to come by to any surprise to you or anybody that listens to, to, to gaming news, Canada, the thing that still drives me crazy is there was no reference or mention to .NET advertising, free to play, 
companies like Bodog is still going to be advertising. And I'm confused as to why the lobby that was that was brought up against advertising in hockey games didn't bring up the fact that there is free to play black market ads still running in Canada. Like it doesn't that doesn't make any logical sense to me. Right. So I think but this is an iterative process. Right. I think we've been saying this from the very beginning. You know, we've been the industry launched um, uh, just a year and a half ago. We're still kind of building this plane as we're flying it. Right. It's that adage. So I think every every week, every month we get smarter, we get better. Our goal is to build a healthy industry. And our job, Chris and I's number one job is to do this alongside the AGCO and I go. Right. Um, do we agree with everything they say? No. But it's our job to to help foster um, kind of the, the healthiest industry possible, including voicing frustrations at times like we do typically here. I don't want to be a whiner, Steve, but hey, there you go. Yeah, I, if I could just jump in on that, I agree. Like we all signed up to be part of this regulated market, right? So there's going to be rules. There's a mandate of the AGCO and I came in Ontario to um, not only regulate our industry, but look out for the for the public interest. And, and they, they have a hard job balancing all those things. Like I, I'd be the first to admit, I wouldn't want to be on that side of things because it seems like a very, very difficult job, especially when you've got Nick, myself and 30, 40, 50 other people in our position uh, whining, <laughs> to steal your term, but whining or, or complaining or at least trying to shape what we have. And to the point about the, the unlisted uh, operators or unregulated operators, then you know where does the enforcement piece come in? So I, I mentioned overregulating, um, but if we're overregulating companies and making it very hard to operate in market, etc., uh, which it is, it's a very very difficult um, uh, market to 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 advertise and and, and market your product in. Um, if there's black market operators um, proceeding, you know, with impunity, then at some point, you're going to see operators go, well, why are we why are we playing in this market? Ah, listen, I don't think we're there. I don't even think we're close to being there. But it's something to keep on the radar because um, you also have to balance out the enforcement piece. But um, like Nick said, we're still very early on. I think everybody respects and has a good working relationship with the regulator, with iGaming Ontario. So, um, you know, these forums are really good for hashing around ideas and and and, um, and spitballing and, and airing grievances. But I think at the end of the day, um, there's a pretty good thing going on. And as we shape it and make it fit what it's going to look like five, 10 years from now, um, you know, the people who are going through these battles in this grind right now are, are uh, you know, they'll look back at it and say, well, that wasn't the most fun thing, but here we are and, and things are good. I would, uh, I would never ever suggest you, you two are whiners. I, I like to call it, uh, I like to call it very passionate dialogue, which the two of you always bring to the, uh, the podcast. Uh, Chris Abbott is the Canadian country manager for Botano. Nick Solsky is the chief commercial officer for Points Bet Canada. Uh, as always, guys, uh, thank you for, for being with us. Uh, a great, great discussion. And, uh, Listen, enjoy the rest of your week. Have a have a great Labor Day weekend. And I expect that uh, we're all good. The whole industry is going to be hitting the ground running come uh, come Tuesday morning. Thanks, Steve. As always, Steve, thanks very much. That's it for this episode of the Gaming News Canada Show podcast presented by Osler, Hoskin and Harcourt LLP. You can find this podcast at GamingNewsCanada.ca and on the various podcast platforms. 
I'm Steve McAllister. Please, everyone, enjoy your Labor Day weekend, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.